Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sounds. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to Sound Sound Matters. (laughs) You're listening to Sound Matters, a podcast about sound and things that matter, brought to you by Bannon Olofsson. My name is Tim Hinman. This time, we're going inside your brain. This time, we're going to hear what it actually sounds like inside your brain when you listen to things. We're going to do it with Professor Nina Krauss. I'm Nina Krauss. I'm a biologist, a professor at Northwestern University. Professor Nina Krauss is the brains behind a project at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, called Brain Vaults. The list of subjects in which Nina Krauss is a specialist is long. The short version is biomusicology, cognitive neuroscience of music, culture in music cognition, evolutionary musicology. I study how our brain makes sense of sound. Now, to begin, it's time to step back into our common evolutionary past. Up a tree somewhere, surrounded by sound. Nobody can really tell you exactly how it all went down. But something seems to have happened to our brains as we evolved that created mechanisms inside our heads that we now take so much for granted every day. The mechanisms that mean we don't just hear stuff, but that we understand it too. The mechanisms that help us make sense of sound. Making sense of sound is a biological triumph. So, what you are doing right now, simply by listening to this podcast, Sound Matters, a podcast about sound, things that matter, brought to you by Ben Olufsen, is evidence of a biological triumph. You, dear listener, are an absolute miracle of biology, whether you realize it or not. And, as we're about to find out, just because you can't see the magic happening doesn't mean... It's not there. It's time to get a move on and climb down from the trees. We only have a couple of million years from here in which to turn our world into a noisy environmental disaster area. And that's all the time it's also going to take before anyone actually begins to understand how our brains work, how listening works. Nina Krauss has essentially one overriding question that drives her work. And it's a simple enough question, really. How is it that humans make sense of sound? How is it that humans make sense of sound? A simple question, unfortunately, with an incredibly difficult answer, it seems. But to try and answer that question, we have to start somewhere. When people think about hearing, they sometimes just think, oh, well, you know, sound goes into my ear. But it, of course, is fed into your brain where it not only engages the auditory system, but it engages how we think about the sound, how we feel about it, how we move with it. 
So as scientists, we think of hearing as engaging our cognitive, sensory, motor, and reward systems. So now that you've evolved into a human being, what's the first thing you can do, in the name of science, of course, to engage your cognitive, sensory, motor, and reward systems? Well, you're an evolved human, so why not get yourself an electric guitar? Start by learning how to play Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple, like so many before you. And keep at it. That's important. You're actually helping further the boundaries of human knowledge here. If, that is, you let Nina Krauss into your brain while you do it. You're working with the very building blocks of human cognition, exploring the ingredients of sound. When we listen to sound, well, sound is rich with ingredients. They are invisible ingredients. They are ingredients like pitch and timing and timbre, phase. What Nina Krauss knows is that the sounds going into your ears contain this cocktail of elements. What she wants to investigate is what happens when all that gets inside your brain. Even if you suck the guitar. We want to be able to measure how the brain responds to all these different elements of sound with enormous precision in human beings. And we're finally at that point. We're finally at that point where humans can look into human brains and really start to try and figure out what's going on in there. Nina Krauss began her work by observing what happened in individual neurons involved in sound processing. Individual neurons will respond to sounds uh, in their own characteristic way. And so uh, you deliver a sound and you uh, can look at a pattern of, of spikes of action potentials on an oscilloscope. And you can see, all right, when I play this particular sound, uh, the neuron responds in this manner. Neurons, if you're not sure what they are, are essentially little electrically excitable cells. They communicate with other cells, and they're basically what make your brain and nervous system work. It's a lot more complicated than that, I'm sure, really. But they are the individual cells that, if you put them together, make it possible for you to think, remember, understand, and play the guitar. By looking at individual neurons in the parts of the brain that deal with sound, she noticed that sometimes they change the way they behave, especially if a particular sound was played and that sound was connected with some kind of reward. She could see, in a sense, the neurons learning to respond to individual sounds. And so I, I was very excited by that first-hand demonstration of how the brain changes when a sound has meaning. We'll get back to that idea in a while. What happened next was that Nina Krauss wanted to be able to see a bigger picture. She wanted to be able to see and measure 
how and where all these reactive cells interact and do the work being done inside our brains while we process sound. She essentially wanted to see what it looks like when we listen. I have been looking for a long time for ways to measure sound processing in the brain that would give us the kind of precision and granularity that I was used to seeing when I was recording from individual neurons. We have really worked out a way of getting tremendous granularity in the brain's response to sound in humans using a method that is called the frequency following response, or FFR. This technique, FFR, allows sensors to pick up the electrical signals going on inside your brain. It allows you to see them on a screen, a readout, or an oscilloscope. But, and this is where it gets really interesting, it also turns out that using FFR has another remarkable payoff. Any electrical response can be also listened to. You know, just right now, we're very used to the idea of, you know, you have the sound of my voice that's going into a, a microphone, and we're changing the sound waves into electricity, which you are picking up and you are amplifying it, and then we are playing that out through a speaker. Well, in the same way, what we can do is, you know, play a sound or say, listen to the sound coming out of the speaker, measure your brain's response to that. I will get an electrical event, and I can play that through a speaker. So we can play the electrical activity that I can capture in response to sound. And this recording, made by Nina Krauss and her team, is just such an example. So here is the sound that I played to you. And here is your brain's response to that sound. Recorded directly from inside a brain. And this is remarkable. What is, is rather remarkable is that, you know, if you look at a sound wave, the response that we can now capture from the brain is so precise and granular that the brain wave that I can capture actually physically resembles the sound wave. You know, that doesn't usually happen in biological systems that you can actually see the response of the nervous system in a way that it resembles what it is that is stimulating the brain in the first place. But here, the sound wave and the brain wave will physically resemble each other, and then I can take the brain's response and play it through a speaker, and you can compare, if you will... Here, we have a situation where the brain's response actually physically resembles the complexity of the sound that was delivered to the person. But the way in which our brain makes sense of sound is something that changes with experience. 
So our life in sound shapes our brain's response to sound. The music we make, the languages we speak, whether we have linguistic deprivation, whether we're getting older. Everything you've ever heard and done in your life will make your brain quite unique in the way it responds to sound signals. You could say you get your own auditive fingerprint of a sort. You know, I will get a different response from your brain and, you know, compared to another brain, there will be a lot of similarities and, you know, it's kind of fascinating to see these small differences in how we intersect with the world, with our brain, based on our experience with sound. So it seems that we do, in fact, maybe all hear the world in our own way, slightly differently. All depending on how our brains learn to hear sound in the first place and on what happened to our hearing brains throughout our lives. The juice of lemons makes fine punch. Our brains adapt all the time. It's not a passive system you're born with. It changes. You can change it. All this led Nina Krauss to realize that those individual neurons she'd been poking around with back in the day, the ones that changed their behavior as they got stimulated by a sound connected to a reward, may be a physical process inside the very architecture of our brains that literally builds and rebuilds new connections as we learn and have experience. Our brains can literally change shape. And music may be the key to unlock the door to understanding how it all works. If we think of hearing as engaging our cognitive, sensory, motor, and reward networks, music is a jackpot. The effect of music, playing an instrument, for example, actually seems to change something in the whole nervous system for the better. Making music enhances sound processing in the brain, not only for music, but also for language. So this experience of repeated sound to meaning connections that happens when a person plays music has a fundamental effect. Making music changes how well you can hear, interpret, and understand and differentiate all kinds of sounds. But it's those elements music shares with language that connect on a fundamental level. The pitch, the timbre, and not least, the rhythm. Rhythm is very obvious in music, but it's not as obvious, but it's very much there in language. What we know is that our experience with rhythm in music makes our brain better at processing the rhythms that are important in language. 
And this is very important as children develop and learn language, as you know, we interact with each other, we have to be really good at interpreting these rhythmic cues. Over the years, we have studied uh, the effects of musical experience on the nervous system across the lifespan. We have followed uh, kids in school year after year after year, the same child, to see how their brain might change if they were involved in regular music making. And, uh, you know, what we have found with these studies is that the brain becomes enhanced with respect to sound processing in the brain for language in the children who experienced regular music education. Music, it seems, actually makes you smarter. But there's a catch. It seems that if you really want to change your brain through music, I'm afraid that just listening to your top 40 playlist won't really do all that much for you. But simply listening to music passively is not producing the same kinds of changes. And an analogy that I like to give is that, you know, we're not going to become physically fit by watching sports. So what kind of music is best to get your neurons going? I would say, I would say it doesn't matter. And it, it really doesn't matter which instrument you play, what genre of music that you are playing. Um, what matters is this very tight coupling between sound and meaning. If you are making connections between the sound and how your fingers feel as you're playing the sound, the motor activity, the expression, the singing, and how you think about sound, how you feel about it, those are the ingredients that, in the end, really transform our brain. Nina Krauss's work at the Brain Vaults Lab has also dealt with trying to understand and follow the process of healing in brains that have been hurt, notably in cases of concussion, of which there are plenty to look at at an American university with a big sports program. Because sound processing in the brain is one of the most difficult jobs that we ask our brains to do, and it involves our brain making computations on the order of microseconds, if you get hit in the head, this very delicate machinery can get disrupted. A bang on the head can upset many of the processes that we need in order to process sound, so that simply differentiating between the different elements of the noise that comes into your ears can get difficult. It can get stressful, painful even. Voices can become hard to pick out of the background noise. They become hard to understand. The sound simply makes no sense. The janitor used a broom. A dish towel is by the sink. She looked in her mirror. Your brain cannot pick out the important details because some part or parts of the system are down.
The Brain Vaults program has been developing music therapies to help retrain and rebuild injured nervous systems and brains. Hoping to retrain brains with music and rhythmic activity. A kind of audio physio program, if you like. Getting fit through your ears. And it works best, it seems, if the brain in question is actively involved in learning music. Many of the, the changes that we want to see in the nervous system are changes that occur with active engagement in sound. So that just passive listening is uh, likely not to be as effective a treatment. I mean, it, it certainly may calm you, but in terms of coordinating the nervous system, something that involves active engagement with sound would make more biological sense. Yeah, you know, as I said, you're not going to get physically fit watching sports. What Nina Krauss's work demonstrates may mean that we should all have a serious think about how and what we teach our kids at school. I think it's, it's very important to be thinking about music as being an inherent part of everyone's life and everyone's education in the same way that athletic activities and physical health should be for every child. If a brain gets trained to make music, then a brain will be better at listening. And it'll grow into a brain that understands more and is just plain fitter than one that never had the chance. Biologically, we are what we do. You know, as humans, we have the ability to transform ourselves. Our nervous system is able to change throughout our life until we die. Obviously, the brain changes in different ways and at different speeds at different times of our lives. But, you know, it's never too late to change how your brain responds to sound, no matter how young or old you are. And it's never too late to get yourself an electric guitar. And that's it for this edition of Sound Matters, a podcast made possible by Bang & Olufsen. Find out much more about them at bang-olufsen.com. Thank you to Professor Nina Kraus. You can read much more about her work through the Brain Vaults website, which you'll find at brainvaults.northwestern.edu. Or check out some of her great talks on YouTube. This edition of Sound Matters was written and produced by me. My name is Tim Hinman. Thanks to Ola Fool and Mas Lungor for help with the editing. And a big thank you, of course, to Nathaniel Buzinski, who's the executive producer of this show. We'll be back again soon. Until then... Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sound. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little. Boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to sound. Sound matters. Sound matters.